We're going to be talking today about the last guardrail that we have, and that is the guardrail of seeking. Everybody say seeking. Okay. All right. So we're going to be talking about the guardrail of seeking. And the reason we're talking about the guardrail of seeking is because I believe that having the guardrail of seeking in our life causes us not to fall into the ditch of deception. Amen? The Bible says many times that in the last days, there'll be false teachers and false prophets or we'll be pulled away by our own evil desires and many people will be deceived if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. And so um, it is important to seek the Lord. I I heard a a quote from a uh, revivalist in the Great Awakening, uh, George Whitfield, you may have heard of him. And someone came to him after a big revival and they were like wanting to get the numbers, like how many people got saved? And he goes, well, I don't know. We'll have to see in about six months. And um, you know why? It's because conviction may bring us to the altar, but it is the seeking the Lord that literally manifest salvation in our life. It is knowing God that changes us. It is a, may start with a prayer in an altar, but it develops into intimacy to where we know him. So whenever the outside tries to creep in, we understand that it is, it is not supposed to be there, right? And so would you guys all stand and we'll read our text verse, which is going to be found in Jeremiah um, 29. 13 through 14, very common scripture. Most of you may even be able to to say it without looking, but it's, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Lord, I thank you so much that you are God Almighty. Lord, I thank you that we have hitched our wagon to you. Lord, that we have, we have decided to follow you. Many of us would even say, just like the disciples, like, where would we go? Like, if we, didn't, if we weren't following you, what would we do? There is no other way but you. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the light. And so, Lord, we come to you today, and I ask, Lord, that, Father, you would minister to your people through your word. Lord, I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts in a really powerful way today because none of us have come to the arrival place because we're all breathing, right? We haven't come to the end. We are still developing. We are still growing and we are still understanding you and we are still living in a world and being tempted and we need you to show us the way. So we thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth so that we don't have to be in fear of living in deception, but we can rest in peace in knowing you. So Lord, I thank you today. May you be lifted up in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. So I was talking about seeking. Uh, anytime I'm, I'm you know, thinking of talking to anybody about anything, I always kind of self-examine, right? And so I begin to think like, you know, I love the Lord. 
I try to seek the Lord, but I started thinking like, what was that moment when I really felt the shift? You know what I mean? Like that shift that you have, like you, you may even love the Lord, but you're not as a committed at the word and you're not as committed at prayer. And even sometimes it's a struggle because it just goes against your nature and it's work. And, but when was that shift when I decided to push through and be pulled into the mystery of God? Like, when was that shift? And I'll tell you when it wasn't is when I was little, okay? I, I really have this overactive imagination and I have tons of questions and I have tons to think, of things to think about. And so if someone's like was talking to me when I was little and they're trying to tell me something and they couldn't, they couldn't get the hook in right away, I was already 30 questions down the road within a minute, you know, like, ah, just get you know, distracted, very terrible. So if I was in class at school, I really struggled in school because at school, like you have to learn and you listen and there's a teacher. I, I really had a hard time, except for when you got that awesome teacher, you know what I'm saying? That awesome teacher, that teacher that's like, you look forward to going to her class and in your mind, you're best friends with her. Yeah, like that kind of teacher. I like those teachers, but I wasn't great because I, I really had a hard time if, if I wasn't incredibly interested right away. Way. I didn't see the value of knowing. In fact, I was so bad that most kids like recess. I hated recess because recess meant I had to play games and I really didn't know how to play games because I felt like the instructions were so boring that I would tune them out and then we go to play and I didn't know what to do. Nobody ever picked me for games. I actually could be athletic, I think, but I'm just like so not competitive and so disinterested. And so anyway, I I remember always getting picked last. I remember being that kid who's on the field while everybody's playing hard and like their hearts are in it. And I'm like drawing and doing the things in the sand. That was me, okay? And then also I, I was thinking of a funny story. When I was little, I used to play hide and seek with my cousins. I felt like I had a million cousins, you know? In the holidays, you get together with your cousins. And like I said, I'm not very competitive. And if it gets hard, I would just always kind of bow out. So anyway, I remember playing hide and seek with my cousins and I remember, um, I felt like I had gotten a lot of them, but I knew there were some that weren't got, you know what I mean? And so I remember like just being bored and deciding to quit. And my Aunt Judy had made chocolate pie. And so I was gonna go for it, you know? And I remember having frustrated co cousins come in and just telling me off because they had been like hiding and sweating in the heat and whatever in Georgia. And I wouldn't even go find them because I was so disinterested. So as you can imagine for me, seeking has been developed in the Lord. And the thing is, is in life, you may have been that kid, you may know that kid, you may have one yourself in your home, okay? There is hope. But here's the deal. We can do that in life. In life, we can have these areas where we're not interested. Not everything matters. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Jesus, we have got to be people who seek. We've got to. It's life and it's death. Okay, so why do we seek? I have four little points here because we're easily deceived. Do you agree? Say amen if you agree with any of these. We're easily deceived, okay? Because we are being pulled away by the world and our own selfishness, wouldn't you say that? Because the days are evil, that's true. Some of us would say, I've never, it's so terrible, like I've never seen it like this, and I would agree. And another reason is because we've got a job to do, and what we believe, we share. 
what we believe, we're gonna talk, it's gonna come out of us. And so we have got to believe the right things. We've got to listen to the right things. So today's talk is gonna be two parts. We're gonna go back into the Old Testament and when we go into the Old Testament, I'm going to kind of be focusing on deception. How does deception happen? Why does it happen? What makes us predisposed to being deceived, okay? Then we're going to go to the New Testament where Jesus literally tells us what it looks like to be a seeker. Okay, so let's start in Jeremiah 9, if, or 29. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 29. Our text verse was in that chapter, so I'm going to sum up a lot because we have a long way to go and a short time to get there, okay? So essentially 900 years, I mean, some of you are like bored, 900 years after the Exodus, 900 years after God has rescued the people of Israel from Egypt, this was a place where, you remember the guy Joseph, Joseph of the Bible, the coat of many colors, Joseph, he is sold into slavery. We, a lot of us may know the story. You may not. Fascinating story. Um, but he's sold, in, he sold, in, sold by his brothers, goes on this journey, ends up in Egypt as the second in command because of the Lord's favor. Because he developed hearing the voice of the Lord and knowing God, even in all the craziness that he went through. And so God gave him favor when he, a famine hits. He is in Egypt. What happens is, is now his whole family is invited to come into Egypt, which is supposed to be a place of blessing. It's this place of provision. And it was, that's what it was supposed to be. But Ezekiel tells us a little bit more of why in the world, if it was, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought, but like, I remember the time where I was like, well, I remember, I know this story in blocks and in this little um, compartment, I know this story about how they went to Egypt, but then suddenly they're having to be taken out and it got pretty ugly, how that happened. And if you look in Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about the fact that while they're in Egypt, what was supposed to be a blessing turned into slavery and then being captives. Now, how does that happen? Well, Ezekiel tells us they started to take other gods. They started to take in to worship. They begin to, to turn their backs on God. Not totally, but they turn their backs on God. They forgot who they were. And so it took a long time to get God's people out. Now, 900 years later, you have a 20-year-old priest named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah has a tender heart. They call him the weeping prophet, you know. And he's got this tender heart. And God calls him. And God calls him to speak to his people. Because how many of you know when someone's going to give you a hard word, it's nice if they love you, Right? And so Jeremiah goes and God chooses him because he, he has this tender heart and he has to give a hard word to the people. And that's what he's doing because what happened is, is now that the children of Israel, God's children, the Jews, now that they are where they're supposed to be in the promised land, they have once again, because we, once, the, once sin came into the world, our hearts are just always being pulled because in peacetime, they didn't tend to their hearts. 
They didn't, in peacetime, they didn't take seriously the things that God had told them to do. Can you say we're a little bit like that as the church? Wouldn't some of you, sometimes I think I wish we had the 80s and 90s to redo, to get a little bit more intentional with the gospel, because right now, the fruit would be a lot different if there, if there had been a lot of discipleship and a lot of equipping in that time. There's a lot of things going on that were good, but in times of peace, if we do not, if we get comfortable, what that causes us to do is overemphasize comfort and safety and the things that we want and, and to be like others and the peer pressure. And then what happens is, is when your world gets turns up, turned upside down, what happens is, is now you don't know how to stand strong in your God. And that's what's happened, and that's why Jeremiah has written a letter. He's got this letter, and he's written it to the elders and to the priests and the people who are in Babylon, because now the, ex, the Jewish people um, are in Babylon. We've been talking about Babylon a lot. And they're in Babylon, but there's some things going on, and God is wanting to speak to them, and he's going to warn them, but he's also wanting to encourage them. Because let me tell you, God is for us, right? And even when he gives us a hard word, God's still so good, he gives us hope. And so that's what's happening with Jeremiah in this letter. So the priest and the elders and these people, they get this letter, and they begin to read it to the people. And now we're going to read the first few verses. Jeremiah 29, 8 through 10. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. God says, when 70 years are complete from Babylon, for Babylon, I will come and fulfill my good promise to bring you back. So what does this tell us? I mean, you can, you can kind of get the picture here. They're deceived, but he's saying don't be deceived. Well, you don't tell somebody don't be deceived if they can't help it, huh? So they're deceived, but they don't have to be deceived. And then he goes on to say why they're deceived. And what I think is really interesting is they're talking about false prophets and these diviners that that are among them. Because I think sometimes we think, especially if you're reading the Bible and especially if it's apocalyptic, you know, it's like all the evils out here in the church, we're just, you know, and we, and we think, we, we have this idea that people are trying to infiltrate when in reality, most of the time, we're deceived because people feel safe because their voices seem very familiar to us. But what's happening is, is the false prophets are rising up among them. And the people of God, God has kind of given them a word because he's saying here, they're saying the things that you're encouraging them to say. You're, you're the reason they're, they're, you're deceived. You don't have to be. But this didn't come from Babylon. This came from among you. This is, this is when the Bible where they say, you know, you're, they're saying the things that their ears want to hear, Right? And so, there are three things that are incredibly powerful that I think are playing out here, and I don't think they're incredibly new at all. 
I think the reason that we are deceived, especially as believers, because this is who he's talking to. There are a lot of people deceived by a lot of different things. But he's talking to believers about being deceived by these prophets. And there were three things that came to my mind that I think they're dealing with. And it's that they have been taken into captivity. They are moms like you, dads like you, teenagers like you, kids like you, like they're, they're singles like you, like they're people like us and they had dreams, they had a plan and everything's been stripped away and they're disoriented in, in a whole world that they never chose to be in. And what happens is, is we want comfort and we want safety. And so we wanna escape I mean, how many of you, I do this, when something really bad happens, you just begin to go into this whole bartering thing, like, this can't be real, this isn't real, this isn't good. And it's like, it's so hard to wrap your mind around something, and so all you wanna do is escape. And so that happens a lot, and you see that there, because this is what those false prophets are prophesying. Because it says that after 70 years, God is going to fulfill his good promise. There's a good promise, and God is going to fulfill it. But I can imagine, because God had told them early on in the chapter when Isaiah writes this letter, the things that Isaiah is telling them is, hey, guys, go ahead and make your home. Stop Stop thinking you're going. We're getting you out of here. Stop thinking you're going to escape this. Build a home. You have children who are ready. They're the age. They need to get married. Marry your children off. And then they all, the Lord also says something very interesting here. He says, now also pray for the prosperity. Pray for the peace of Babylon. Wow. I don't think that these people are at a place, obviously, to even want to pray that. But God even says why. God says when they prosper, you're going to prosper. Not only that, I mean, let's think about it practically. When light increases, darkness decreases, right? And God's so good that he can take the rebellion, the rebellious hearts of Israel, plant them into a society and even use them for his glory to make a difference there. And that's what God's wanting to do. And so then we see like, so escape is incredibly powerful. It can make us, it can make us open to deception. Then having no opposition, that's nice, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, it's just nice not to be opposed. Has anybody, has anybody ever parented? Yeah. Um, safety is a big one. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get sick. I heard a, um, a prosperity gospel pastor one time who had felt like he, he actually had felt convicted and felt like the Lord had um, called him to come out and really just talk about like a lot of the things he did that was, he knew was not of the Lord. And one of the things that he says is it's easy to say things to people and tell them what they wanna hear about God when you start with, you can be safe. You don't have to endure this. And so that's what's happening, is these false prophets are using it. They're using these promises 
as a means to get into their to get into their their spiritual walk to get into their they're using it and God is telling them don't do that in Jeremiah 29 10, uh, 10 it says after 70 years I will fulfill my good promise to you so God made a promise the promise was good and he will fulfill it but they have to endure it wasn't like God left them there. He was going to fulfill his good promise. But the thing is, is they were going to have to endure. Who wants to do that? I don't. I don't like to endure. You know? So in Jeremiah 29, 12, he says that you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. These are three responses that God is pointing out here. It's to call on God, help. That is one of the most powerful prayers that you can pray. You know why it's powerful? I think sometimes, you know, we get our humanity even in how we approach God. And even the pride in us wants to pull ourselves together to come before him. But a good help prayer, a good call out to God, help, what it's doing is it's positioning us in humility. It's saying, I'm not enough, I need you help. And so God is saying, like, do that. And then it says, come, they'll come. And this really represents just us being submitted to him. We're not saying like, God, you come over here on my terms. It's saying, I'm gonna walk in humility. I need your help. I'm gonna go to you. You're the one with the answers. You're the one who has all the secrets to life, hope, and joy, and happy. All the things that we're wanting are in you, so we're going to you. And then he says to pray. And we're gonna talk about that in a little bit as we go into the New Testament. Prayer is a significant part of seeking God. And it's one of the most talked about and the least done. We, we hear that all the time. One of the most talked about principles in your Christian life. And it's, it's one of the hardest things for people to do. But we talk all the time. So why is that? It's because there's something inside of us that believes something that's not true. But God is saying in Jeremiah 29, 3 through 14, which is our text, and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. So this letter that Jeremiah wrote on behalf of God was for the Israelites. You can live in Babylon. You can have peace. You can prosper. He says, Right after he says, I have this good promise, he also says then, the next verse, says he has a plan. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So not only is God saying, I have a, a promise, he's saying, I also have a plan for it. And prosperity isn't, the short game, prosperity's the long game. And God's not not rescuing you in the moment that you want him to because he's just wanting you to suffer and really feel sorry. That's not what God is doing. God is waiting because he wants their hearts to be at a place where he can again protect and bless them. 
where their enemies won't be able to come at them. Like if, if God were to, and you, you know this is apparent, sometimes you wanna give your kids the world, and this is a really weak because we are nothing like God, right? But sometimes you know because you've seen it, maybe in other people, because you read you know, books about parenting, whatever, but you know that if you give your kids everything your heart would wanna give them, it would not be good for them. And you even know that you have to discipline your kids even when you don't want to discipline your kids because discipline makes them better. And if we don't discipline our kids, they're gonna be super messy and they're gonna be incredibly dramatic and entitled, right? So it's like, I don't wanna, sometimes it's just easier not to deal with it as a parent, but you're like, I want my kid to live a life where they're a blessing and not a curse on earth. I want them to be a blessing everywhere they go. I know my kid is gonna grow up and be married one day, and these issues that we're having today, we can work on them now so that it, she can be a blessing or he can be a blessing to their spouse, right? And, and one day they're gonna get a job and they've gotta be respectful. And so in the moment, I don't, I don't, it's just, I, I don't even wanna back talk, I don't want, but you know what? One day they're gonna have to make the choice and they're gonna hear our words on how they're gonna treat other people. And so we know we gotta do it. And that's what God is like. God's not holding out 70 years. He's not holding out just to teach them a lesson. God warned you. That's not how God is. God is doing it for their good. And that's what he's saying in the encouragement there. And so he wrote this to encourage them and he wrote it to encourage us. Amen. We're going to move to the New Testament. And we're going to look specifically at Mark 4, but I'm going, to, I'm going to summarize three real fast. Here's the thing. Mark 3, Jesus's ministry is taking shape in major ways, okay? John the Baptist, he's, you know, eating all the funny things and wearing hairy things. And he's, but he's preparing the way of the Lord, right? Like he's pointing, he is the last prophet that will live that will be pointing towards Jesus. It's kind of cool. And he's declaring that he is the one the scriptures talked about. And then Jesus gets baptized by him, the, the sky splits and a dove comes and the, God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Okay, and then he's healing people in droves. People are getting healed. Masses are following him. He's forgiving sins. Now it's getting a little on the, the Pharisee's toes. He's um, eating with sinners. He's doing all the things. And now we enter chapter four, and he's going to be talking to his followers, to the disciples. He is talking to them because they were raised um, by, with the law, but he was also, they were also raised with built-in traditions that were supposed to kind of be there, how they related to God. And Jesus knows he is going to, he is going to die on a cross. He's gonna come back from the dead. He's going to leave them with his spirit, and they're gonna have to cultivate their lives around seeking him if they are gonna be successful and if the church is gonna grow. And so what happens is he begins to tell parables. And parables, what they're supposed to do is they are, they are built to cause us to lean into the mystery. I never leaned into mysteries as a kid. I avoided them and created my own things, you know. 
And so, but what a parable is supposed to do is cause us to lean in to Jesus. And so the parables here, Jesus begins to, to, to give them really build. We say, we use the words next step a lot because we know that in our walk, you don't, when you skip steps, it's not good. Because we want, we want the gifting of people. We want people's leader. We want leadership. We want all of it to be built strong from the bottom up, right? And so what happens here is Jesus begins to, he knows that the beginning, he's got he's to tell them parables. And if they lean in and they listen, they're not going to be deceived when he's gone. Because he's with them. The bridegroom was with them right then. And so Jesus is on a boat says he's on the lake, he's on the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake. He's on the lake, the crowd's looking at him, and he, the, the Bible says they begin to, he began to teach them with many parables. So we're gonna go through really fast those parables because the end of this chapter is super, super good. Okay, so the first parable is the parable of the farmer, or you could call it the soils. I've heard people say the soils. And the reason is, the reason some people call it the soils is but when we read the, the Bible, a lot of times we're like, what does that look like for me? Like, what does that mean? How am I to apply that? Well, the reason is it's gonna be talking about a farmer, which is gonna represent God. It's gonna be talking about soils. So Jesus is trying to set them up for success. It's our heart condition. We can't receive the word of God if our hearts are not, I had my grandpa used to have a, you know, a garden. I remember him going out, he had the manual tiller. And I remember him going and getting roots out and getting rocks out and then he'd plant his garden. And, and that's what it's talking about here is like, how does the ground need to be, spiritually speaking, for the seed of God to grow in our life? And so Jesus tells them this parable and in Mark 4.10, it says, when he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parable and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those on the outside, uh, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Here's the thing about a parable. A parable is public, but when we seek, what happens is, is it becomes the seed that changes our life. It's going to Jesus in the secret place is what changes. The understanding comes in private. Otherwise, it says, they might turn and be forgiven. It's that thing we were talking about a little bit ago. Like, if, if people aren't ready and you make it so easy, people will sign, you know, they'll sign up, but they're not ready, and what happens is they'll fail because they haven't, their, their soil's not there, and they get the seed, and then what happens is the birds come or the heat, and so Jesus then, after he tells them all this, he begins to describe what, in this parable, the birds that came and stole the seed and the thorns and all the things. Great parable, read it. It's awesome. But in this parable, what Jesus is building on is we have to tend our hearts. We have to lead ourselves well. What we start out with is not a podcast that some other seeker got. Somebody, we can't have other people seeking understanding for us. That's how we get deceived. 
And so what we, what we need to do, I'm not saying I love books and I listen to podcasts and I do all the things, but majority of what comes to me, my understanding of God's word is because I am doing the nitty gritty of getting in the word and asking God, what does this mean? And there's something so incredibly intimate that happens to where you know your God, you know what he says, and when you know when those, that deception comes at you, you're already like, oh, that's dumb. Like, that's not even real. It's fake, you know? And people are like, what? Da, da, da. I'm like, no, like, this is what the word says. Oh. And sometimes, like, we can almost, we can just get so dependent on others' understanding of the Bible, and, and that's why we have to be careful who we listen to, but we also have to make sure that we're listening for ourselves. The next parable is the parable of the lampstand. That parable is about being a light. It's an elementary witness, essentially. Because he says, do you bring a lamp? The lamp of God's word, that's what he's talking about. To put under a bowl or a bed, that wouldn't make sense, would it? Wouldn't you just put it on a lampstand? Be careful what you hear. He's essentially saying, be careful who you are allowing to tell you the word. It is our responsibility to not be deceived, guys. Okay? And I'm gonna skip down, but this is about that initial witness that we have. It's being the light. It's letting people see what God is doing in us and in our lives. The next one's the parable of the growing seed. There's a farmer in this one. There's been a lot of farmers he taught you. And so there's a, the farmer is us though. And then it's the, the seed that the farmer sows is the word of God. So that's God's part. And then we're the ones sowing the seed. So this is all about evangelism. This is intentional planting God's word, witnessing, investing in others' lives, but knowing that there's this mystery. If it takes root, it was God that did it. And that's what that parable is about. And I hope you will read it. It is amazing, but it's leading others by investing in the truth of God's word. And that's strategic. But here's the end Here's my favorite part. This is the aha moment. I changed my whole sermon because of this last part. And this is the story where Jesus calms the storm. I mention this story all the time. I love it. But I kind of saw something I never saw before and thought something felt like maybe the Lord led me down this way. It was this aha moment for the disciples. I was reading it and I'm like, okay, Jesus calm the storm and his disciples are like freaking out and Jesus is in the boat and he's in the stern of the boat. He's got this, I've heard all the sermons, like he fashioned a pillow so he knew he wasn't worried, you know, all the things. But Jesus is in the boat. There's a squall that happens, like the, the, the waters of uh, the Sea of Galilee because it's in this, you know, the wind gets trapped. It can have, they have really nasty storms and so that's why you'll hear a lot about that in the Sea of Galilee. And so anyway, Jesus is asleep, the disciples see it, and they're freaking out. And so they go to him and they say, in fact, let's read it. Oh, it's so much better when he says it. Okay, so let us go over to the other side. They go over to the other side, and it says a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? 
Don't you, don't you still have, do you still have no faith? And then they, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And I've read that a lot of times and I remember as younger being like, what do you mean, who is he? You've been walking with him? You know, like, you don't even know who he is. I mean, the demons just said he was the son of God. The clouds opened up. Like, you guys know all this. What do you mean, who is he that the winds and the waves obey him? And... What occurred to me is they had been with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. Jesus was healing people, but this was their miracle. This is when their life was on the line. This is when they were in mortal danger. This is, this is what the other people felt when Jesus healed them. This was personal. And Jesus rescued them. And their response is so cool because they're like, who is, what is this? Who is this? And you say, why would he say that? These are Jewish men. They were fishermen. They were unlearned to a degree. But a Jewish man would have grown up hearing in their culture, at their meals, they read the, the Bible. It's like the Bible's different. But, but they would read the, the, you know, the Psalms. They would read the prophet. Like they would read. They knew scripture. And I want us to look at Psalm 89.9. You have to think these disciples who had heard that he was the son of God, now they hear this. This is what they would have thought. You rule over the surging sea. And this is David talking to God. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Who is he? They knew he was the son of God. They knew he was from God. But in this moment, there was this, this merging knowing that he was not only from God, the son of God, he was God. He was the creator. And when he speaks, creation listens to him. And guys, in your life, you might be in a squall. You might be on the great water. Good, praise Jesus, you know? But you might have anxiety, fear, you may want to escape. You may want, you may want all those things, but don't trade them for a God who can speak to the waves and say, peace be still, and they are stilled. Because what God wants to do is bring prosperity in our life that looks like joy and peace and hope. It looks like in a world that doesn't love one another, we love one another because we don't look through offended eyes. We look through the eyes of Jesus who has all the mercy and compassion. We, we don't live like the world. We, we, in our marriages, you know, in our, as parents, we're not getting consumed by the anxiety and the worry when we, when we don't get consumed by those things because we know that if we place ourselves and posture ourselves in humility and we call on God and then we go to God and then we pray to God that he is going to come to us. And there's not a friend, a counselor, a evangelist, anybody on the outside of God that can speak to your storm like your God can. And sometimes we want to calm our storm with a placebo word from somebody else. And you have a God who loves you. Stand, stand with me. You have a God who loves you. This is incredibly personal. 
going to take a minute. I want you to think. What does this mean for you? Are you seeking the Lord? You know what? Seeking isn't just getting the seed. There's the next step of displaying, being the light. Then there's the next step of planting the word. Seeking is powerful. And when we're seeking God, I'll tell you what, you're a little bit busy to be looking about the cares of this world. If you're in here today and you are overcome, you know, I just praying for you guys over the last several days. Reagan and I were even here yesterday and just felt like we just wanted to pray. And I just kept praying for anxiety. Like, and I know, and I know that's kind of low-hanging fruit right now because of COVID. But I believe there, there's an aggressive anxiety that is really latching onto the hearts of people. And if we don't know who God is and we don't know what he says, we are so helpless. And God wants to be your God in a way that you know him so well that hell itself can't shake him out of you, you know? And so, God, we thank you for your power. Lord, we thank you for your heart. What a gentle, awesome heart that you have towards us. God, that you won't leave us, you won't forsake us. In fact, you've overcome the world on our behalf. So, Lord, would you help us to seek you? Keep us out of the ditch of deception. God, help us to recognize when we are, when we're feasting on a placebo word that is outside the context of your word. Lord, let us feed our spirit on you. You know us. You say that you're perfecting that which pertains to us, to every individual. We're never going to look alike. It's always gonna be different and it's always gonna be incredibly personal when you meet with us. So I pray, God, that everyone in here, you would heal their bodies. If they're sick in this house, God, I pray that you would touch their bodies right now in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Lord. We pray that if there are people in here struggling with, with depression or anxiety, Lord, that you would give them strategies inside your word to know what to do and how to think. Practical, spiritual, give them wisdom, God. I pray for every marriage in this house, Lord, that you would would go in and Lord, you would convict the hearts where there's pride. Lord, that you would, you would heal marriages that feel like that scripture, it says like a smoldering wick he won't put out and a bruised reed he won't break. And, and, and I think some marriages feel like bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. And yet I know, God, that you are the author of restoration. So I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would encourage people, that you would show people, Lord, in relationship, how to love one another as you love the church. Lord, I pray for every parent who is struggling, worried, 
or doesn't know what to do, I pray that you would give them the wisdom that only you can give them and the peace that passes understanding that would guard their hearts. Lord, I pray for every teenager in here. Lord, I pray their identity would be secure in you. I pray that every teenager in this house would square their shoulders and lift their head in confidence, knowing that you are God Almighty, that they don't have to worry about their future. They don't have to worry about what's at school or who's at school. Lord, that, that even the power of peer pressure, God, in light of you fades. Lord, that they would be your salt and light in their schools. Lord, there's so many things we could pray for. And God, we lift all the prayer needs to you. But we ask, Lord, God, would you make us a people in a lampstand? In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen.